aren't a lot of opportunities for funding for women and people of color. In 2021, 2% of all VC funding went to women founders, 2%. Um, and if you combine in Black and Latino founders, it's only 3.4% overall. Welcome to the Ladies Who Lead podcast. This is a community of women supporting women. Tune in every other Thursday to hear from SK Vaughn as she catches up with ordinary ladies doing extraordinary things. We will cover topics like diversity and inclusion, gender pay gap, thought leadership, and respect in the workplace. We want to celebrate with you and hear stories of success and hard lessons learned. Whether you are a lady who leads in the boardroom or a lady who leads in your community, this is the place for you. Let's do this. Maria has 10 plus years of experience in fundraising and social media strategy, including in major markets across the United States. She's consulted and presented internationally on digital fundraising, millennial giving and trends in the nonprofit sector. Having been successful in all types of fundraising campaigns, major events, corporate sponsorships, peer-to-peer, grassroots, grant writing, and major gifts, Maria has a unique knowledge and insight into how and why donors give. Additionally, she has acted as a host and moderator of panels, including with national speakers, primarily focused on the rise in political activism since 2016. Maria is also the CEO and founder of Fundrage, a Google Chrome extension that helps you channel anger into action when you're reading the news. You can download it for free in the Chrome web store at www.gofundrage.com. This is going to be an incredible episode you do not want to miss. So stay tuned. I'm so excited to have Maria here on the podcast. Welcome to the Lazy Lead. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So I always kick off the podcast with how are you surviving and thriving this week? So while you're thinking through that, I will kick us off. Um, How am I surviving this week? (laughs) Great question. I'm surviving in this season of uncertainty and only being able to control what I can control and being okay with that. Just, you know, in life, personally, professionally, like you can create these big plans and this big strategy of how you want to attack things, but it doesn't always go that way. Right. And I think that it's okay that it doesn't go that way, but it's also understanding this realization that, okay, I can only control a few things. And that's like me showing up in my attitude um, and how I choose to respond in the moment. And so that's just kind of how I'm currently surviving um, this week. And then how am I thriving? I just got back from an amazing trip. Uh, We went to Puerto Rico to visit with some family and it was just such a beautiful, beautiful place. First time there, very tropical um, everything that you would hope it would be and more. And so it was just really nice to have some downtime, but then also just to get some good quality family time. So that's how I'm surviving and thriving this week. What about you, Maria? That's amazing. I resonate a lot with you saying showing up in your attitude. I am on top of the startup. I have two other basically kind of full-time jobs and a part-time one. And 
Um, I'm working remote for the first time starting in January, kind of juggling all of the things. And I think with the startup in particular with Fundrage, I have, you go through as a startup founder, a lot of um, peaks and valleys, sometimes by the month, sometimes by the day, sometimes by the minute. And I've been in a valley recently, but I think I'm at the point where I'm trying to just embrace kind of the crazy and the chaos and leaning into the flexibility I have in life and becoming, um, really being able to structure my day how I want to for the first time ever and really being appreciative of that. So even if things aren't perfect every day, trying to be grateful for the flexibility and the community and the support, um, even if it's not like a typical office area that I've been in. So a little bit of the survival and thriving mixture this week, but good overall is what we'll say. (laughs) I love that. And I think it's, uh, it's an important thing to learn is like, you know, sometimes you just have to kind of settle into the chaos and just embrace it for what it is. So that's cool. Kind of figuring that as you go. I think we all are in this crazy world. Yeah. I think we're all more in that, like mix version, like the Venn diagram of surviving and thriving at all times these days. And it's honestly been nice to see kind of the community in the world be a little more empathetic towards everyone post 2020. Yes, I'm here for it. So switching gears a little bit. So give us a little bit of a glimpse into your background, you know, kind of what makes up Maria? Yeah, so I am born and raised in Birmingham, and that's really important for me because I love the Magic City. I grew up there. I went to college in Mississippi, moved back to Birmingham for a bit, and then spent seven years in D.C. And while I really enjoyed loving living and working in Washington, D.C., um, Birmingham was always my home. It was awful to go out with me and meet me and ask where I was from because I was going to give you a 10-minute diatribe on Birmingham. Something about being hyper-local and just really aware as a community I love. I have been a nonprofit my whole career. So over a decade now, I've worked with nonprofits, whether hyper-locally, nationally, or internationally. And my whole kind of philosophy on life has really been just wanting to leave the world better than I found it. And that's what drew me to nonprofits. Um, my, both my parents were really engaged in nonprofit work professionally and otherwise. And what really has made up where I've wanted to go is I want to work hard every day. I work too much. Um, I really enjoy being someone who works, but I also really enjoy the outcome being something that makes the world just a little better than it was when I got here. So that's been my main driver. Um, and moving back to Birmingham after my seven year stint in DC has kind of re-engaged my love for the city and wanting to build a company. And I'm really invest in the community here as well. Yeah. I love that Birmingham pride. I think that's awesome. <laughs> Gotta love the magic city. I've only I mean, been here for, I think three short years, but it's a really cool vibe and just a really unique blend of like Southern culture meets um, metropolitan area. So. Yeah. And it's a surprise people underestimate it, which I think I also just kind of love as a woman, as a founder of a tech company. Um, I I think I feel a kindred spirit with Birmingham because people, people like to underestimate the city and it's, um, it's got a lot of great stuff to offer. Yeah, definitely. So for our friends who are listening, you know, 
what is Fundrage and why did you see a need to create this really incredible business? Yeah, Fundrage is a social impact platform that helps people channel their anger into action when they're reading the news. And the idea first started kind of turning in my head around 2016 when there was a lot of stuff, for lack of a better word, going on in the world. Um, there was a lot of political turmoil. It felt like we were just at hyper-partisan politics. The news just every day there was something new going on in the news that I was angry about that I didn't know that I needed to be angry about. And it got contentious and, and I felt really frustrated with wanting to stay informed with the world to some extent, but not getting overwhelmed with this feeling of helplessness. And I, I had a lot of people who were friends of mine and family in my network who felt the same. And with my nonprofit background, my response to things like that is just to donate money um, to nonprofits that I know who are doing the work that I care about. How can I best make my donation and my dollar stretch? And I thought there's got to be some sort of technology out there that connects me directly with what's going on and which nonprofits are on the ground just to make it easier. So I don't have to go through all this due diligence and like work really hard to care. Um, and there wasn't. So that was the kind of the birth of Fundrage. So right now it's a Chrome extension. It can be downloaded for free in the Chrome store, which is if you Google Chrome store, it will pop up. It's, it's more simple, I think, than people um, think that it is. And it just it's an icon that sits on your browser as you're reading the news online. And you click the button and it'll connect you directly to nonprofits based on the articles that you're reading. And there's an app in development as well. So if you're sitting in an airport waiting on your flight and the news is on, if you're listening to a podcast, if you're out and about, you can have that social impact tool on the go. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Take us back a little bit. What was the one news article, if you can remember, that really just sparked so much rage that you're like, I've got to do something. Do you remember like what that news article was or that topic in the news? Yeah, for me, it was definitely reading about children being separated at the border. And, and I think it was because I had never thought of that cause before. I had, um, I have my nonprofits that I've supported my whole career. I have my causes. I think most people do like the causes that you care about that you just, you kind of know are in your orbit that you want to support. Um, that in particular, I had no idea how to help. And that's when I felt the most hopeless of watching the news and not knowing how I could make an impact. And it led me to a lot of research. And I thought, and in and, and that conversation with myself, if there's got to be an easier way, surely someone has done this and surely there's some sort of technology that will make this easier for me. And there wasn't at the time. Yeah. And then from there, you know, kind of walk us through like your entrepreneurial journey of, okay, I had this idea. I am outraged that no one else has thought <laughs> to do this. Like what are those next steps that you took to finally get this thing moving? So what I wish I had done was started when I first had the idea. And that's, that's advice I give to people is if you have an idea, just start. Um, so the idea kind of started circulating in my head in 2016. I talked to some people about it while I was living in DC, a lot of great verbal support. Um, I went back and forth a lot on, should it be an app? Should it be a plugin? Should it be an extension? This and that. And then life just kind of got in the way I was working a lot full time and 
I had a lot of personal stuff going on. So I just didn't kind of follow that lead. And I moved back to Birmingham in February, 2020. And then sometime that fall, I saw an application for a program at the Innovation Depot in Birmingham called Voltage. And the program was basically, if you have any idea whether or not you think it's good, <laughs> apply to this program and you'll spend a couple months in this accelerator and we'll help you like test your idea and see if it's worth anything. So I applied with Funrage and I got in and it shocked me that I, A, I got in on this idea I'd had for a few years and B, um, thought, oh gosh, I have to do this now <laughs> and, and really take those first steps. And so it was that program acceptance that, that pushed me forward into starting on the, the journey of Funrage. So I went through the Voltage program in 2020 came out of that program. And then May 4th of that year, we got our LLC official um, business license. And so we're coming up on a year in business. That's very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. It's it's strange, but it's exciting. A lot of people um, kind of my age and a lot of women have celebrations of a lot of great things in life. And I'm celebrating the one-year-old birthday of a company, which is maybe not where I thought I'd be at this phase, but it's a lot of work and a lot of tears that are also going into it. So it's, um, it's a nice place to be. No, I completely get that. I have a funny story is at Publix uh, over the weekend, getting ready to celebrate the one year anniversary for the podcast. And so I had this big balloon with the, had like pink streamer coming down and like pink flowers and like, oh, wow, are you going to a baby shower? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. With my baby, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So I can completely relate to that. Um, so kind of going back a little bit, you know, speaking of this idea, taking the next steps, getting into this um, program that kind of helps you vet your business idea. You know, you come from like a nonprofit background. So obviously you have a lot of that um, need to want to help and make the world a better place. But in the tech startup space, um, what were some like obstacles that you had to overcome or how did you even know who to connect with to help kind of get this idea off the ground and put it into kind of the tech space? Yeah, it's a fascinating place to be in. And the Birmingham community has a phenomenal supportive tech scene. And there are a lot of people who at the Innovation Depot, at tech stars at Alleman Capital Network, a lot of just great groups who want to help you. So I, I will say that, that it's a great place to have a startup. Um, I'm fortunate that my network from DC kind of expanded. Luckily in DC, no one really stays there. So people move across the country and I'm able to lean into advisors that I have in different cities and states and get their feedback, get their um, advice and help as I'm going through this process. But it's been fascinating to kind of walk through the tech space as a Southern female founder. Um, I'm hyper aware all the time of pitch opportunities, of accelerators, of mentorship programs. And, and most of these programs that are geared towards women and people of color are all mentorship opportunities. There aren't a lot of opportunities for funding for women and people of color in 2021. 2% of all VC funding went to women founders, 2%. Um, and if you combine in black and Latino founders, it's only 3.4% overall. And 
a lot of that has been interesting to me because there are great accelerators, there are great mentorship programs offered, but you don't, a lot of women and Black and Latino founders, women of color, um, we don't necessarily need more mentors all the time. We need money, we need investment to make sure that we can push our companies forward, but what's offered to us is mentors. And so being in this space as a woman is exciting in some ways because you do have opportunities that are geared towards you, but those opportunities can be frustrating because it's, we want to offer you a mentorship woman founder and that's great, but I need funding just as much as all the male startup founders need funding. So it's been an interesting um, journey to navigate and leaning into what I need, but not having that offered to me. Um, so it's, it's, it's been fascinating. I've had great mentors along the way, but the space of VC funding and startups is still very skewed away from women and people of color. Which is a little bit surprising to me when I heard this stat, I'm just like, what? Like, yeah. how are we in the year 2022 and yet less than 2% of women are, um, receiving funding. Like that's just, that's mind boggling to me. And so it kind of begs the question, like where to begin, like, how do you, or how can, could we as women advocate for other female founders looking for additional funding? Is there a, a means in which we can advocate or how have you yourself gotten creative in that process? Yeah, luckily as a fundraiser by trade, I am used to making cold asks and being told no um, and being politely persistent if I am ghosted. So all of those job traits I've picked up over my career as a fundraiser, I have moved into the space. There are now more than ever women-led VC firms. There are VC firms that focus only on women and people of color, and those are great, but it's the space as a whole, those big kind of VC firms that have been around for a while where that money's not trickling down towards women. Um, I have had many women in my network who have offered to help and make connections for me. And one of the hardest things about being a founder versus a fundraiser is when I'm asking for favors and for people to give money to me as a fundraiser, it goes to a great cause. It goes to a nonprofit. It's, it's low hanging fruit in a sense, asking for someone to give me money to invest in me as a founder and as a company is so much more personal that the ask is harder for me. Um, and I have other friends who are female founders who have never been in the fundraising space, nonprofit or otherwise. And so it's, it's much harder for them. Um, women lead differently as a whole. We tend to lead more with empathy. We tend to not put out crazy numbers, even if they might be true. Um, we build a little bit more cautiously just as an overall scope of women founders. Um, there are a lot of great statistics on the fact that women who build businesses or women who are CEOs have happier employees, have less turnover, have better business revenue, but it's getting from ground zero up until you can have that scaled company. That's, that's the really hard climb. Yeah. So you mentioned just having a background in fundraising in the nonprofit sector, mm -hmm. you know, what about like maybe growing up? gave you this sort of resilience it takes to be politely persistent, which I love <laughs> that phrase. I'm going to start using that. Um, 
Someone called me that once early in my career and I have never stopped using that phrase. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. That's just like the story of my life. So I'm here for it, but you know, what do you feel like in your life has transpired to help you to be politely persistent or to have that uh, trait of resilience about yourself as a female founder and as a person in general? Yeah. So my mom was always a fundraiser growing up. She donated and worked to support a lot of nonprofits in Birmingham. So she had made a lot of asks growing up. And I remember her telling me often, like, why not ask the worst they can say is no. And I was like, okay, you know, that's fair. Like a no may hurt me a little bit, but it's not going to be a big deal. So the worst they can say is no, something I keep in my head quite often when I'm making big asks. And my dad was a nonprofit executive. So watching him and going to his foundation as I was young, just from a early stage, got me interested in work that gives back. So I think growing up in that kind of household that had philanthropy really helped shape me. And my dad used to also tell me in any sort of adversity, his advice to me was hang in there, be tough and smile. And so it was like, you can do this, you can get through it, have a good attitude and things will turn out well. Um, so I think that helped shape me going into nonprofit fundraising and quite honestly, as an entrepreneur, I have to think through that all the time. And then I, my first fundraising job, I had a great executive director who became a mentor of mine. His name was Aaron Bishop. And he taught me a lot about working around a no. So if you hear a no first as a fundraiser or in a meeting, you don't ever accept that, um, really politely, of course, but it's okay. I hear that that doesn't work for you. Let's talk through some ways where we can make it work and just kind of not accepting a no until you walk through the next six stages. And if, if you get to know at that point, then you leave it. Um, but no, never being the final answer is something that I learned pretty early on with him. So just, just different kind of great golden advice from people throughout my life that have helped me in the fundraising side and now in the startup side. That's great advice. I'm going to keep that one filed away. <laughs> I hear it's only that. No, if you accept it as a no, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to continue to keep that mantra of politely persistent. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Yes. How is Birmingham helping to create a startup ecosystem in our own backyard? Like, what are some creative ways that you feel like that startup community is there to support? Birmingham has taken on such a pride in its startups. You see the big successes like the ships and the landings. Um, You see companies that are bubbling up like a fledging, um, other ones that Harmony Venture Labs, which is a company that was started by a founder who sold his company and then came back and wanted to invest in startup entrepreneurs in Birmingham. The Innovation Depot is running great programs, Voltage Velocity, which I'm in now, is another accelerator program. Um, There's just an excitement around startups in Birmingham. There are a million startup drinks a week you can go to. Um, We're investing in tech jobs. Ed Farm is a great nonprofit that works with Apple to teach coding to young kids and works with Birmingham City Schools. There's just, there is so much going on that I think a lot of people don't even realize in Birmingham that is supporting tech, it's championing it. I think where we have 
opportunity to grow is really making sure that Birmingham startups are invested in by Birmingham people and by Birmingham VCs. Um, that would help push us in a little bit of a bigger way, but that that's growing too. And so anywhere that people want to get involved in tech in Birmingham, there's an opportunity for that. And that's been exciting to really lean into, um, BHAM now and the BBJ have both been great champions of writing about startup companies. And anytime there's any movement in this space, they have really been great media publications that have helped amplify that. So it's um, it's a little kind of hidden community at Birmingham. A lot of people don't realize, but once you're a part of it, you realize how big and um, and wide that scope of work and support is. Yeah, that's huge. And I feel like the Innovation Depot does a really great job of that too. And um, I can say that because that's where my marketing agency is based out of. And it's just really interesting because it's a new space for me. Like I've never really ventured into the startup community before, but it's definitely its own subset of, of individuals who are really like all hustling to make their dreams a reality, which is pretty cool to get to be around 24 seven. Absolutely. And every founder really wants to help other founders for the most part. As part of Velocity and this program, I'm a part of an Innovation Depot. So many startup companies have come in as mentors or have taken time to come speak to our cohort for a while. It's just the Southern community of being a startup is is a really wonderful one to be a part of because we all know how hard it is and we all want to help each other. Um, and there are fewer resources in Birmingham than there are in larger cities. And we know that we're all sharing and competing for that. So um, it could be competitive, but it's actually a lot more welcoming and um, communal than some might think. What is the worst piece of advice that you've ever been given? Curveball. <laughs> um I, so as a startup founder, new in my startup career, I will say I get a lot of advice not to keep drawing this to a parenthood metaphor because I don't know what that's like, but I know a lot of my friends who are moms say they get so much parenting advice and it's a lot of it's unhelpful and it's frustrating. Um, I feel like that with a startup a lot of times where you have to just glean all of this advice that people give you because they want to offer you advice. And then you have to choose like the one or two things that make sense to you. Um, I was given advice recently by an advisor who I just kind of looked dead in the eyes and just said, I disagree with that. And it was just something that just was completely um, not in line with the mission of my company or where I wanted to head or what I wanted to do. And most of the time I'll accept advice and say, okay, I'll think about that or, you know, I'll work around it. But in this scenario, it just, it was so off kilter. I just like, I disagree. (laughs) Um, And it's hard to say that to someone who's helping you and giving their time to volunteer, but you also have to know that you're running a company and you have a mission and you have to be able to kind of dig your heels in sometimes and say like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to move forward on this advice, this conversation, because I just know that's not the right path for me. Um, I stay open-minded as much as possible, but I, there was one and, and the, the nuance of what the advice was is irrelevant, um, but it was just one where I really had to push back on. So that doesn't fully answer your question, but 
Yeah. And protects, you know, protects everybody involved. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and speaking of advice, you know, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but like what piece of advice would you give to other aspiring female founders out there who are looking to kind of make their start? Well, I would say just, just move forward on it just start to do it. Start talking to people, um, start talking to potential customers and just move forward on it. Even if it's slow, I regret the four years that I had the idea and didn't move forward on it more. So I would say that I also think to female founders specifically, we hear this phrase imposter syndrome thrown thrown around a lot. Um, You only hear it thrown out towards women for the most part. And I know I've felt imposter syndrome before in jobs and in life. I know a lot of friends who have, but what I've come to realize about imposter syndrome in particular is that at its core, it's not real because if you are doing it already, then you are not an imposter. (laughs) Um, you can feel like you're walking into a room. You don't belong there, but the fact of the matter is you are walking into that room and by some way you do belong there. So I think just not allowing yourself to get in the mental space of, I don't belong here. I can't start this. I can't do this, et cetera, because if that's in your head and you're doing it, you're already there. Like that's the first step to it. So I would just say, if you start to feel that imposter syndrome creep up, just remind yourself that you're doing it and someone else is not. And so you have earned your spot at that table or in that room or in that company. Hell yeah. I love that. (laughs) I I struggle with it still. I can't act like I don't, but that's what I tell myself. (laughs) Yeah. I will receive that today. Thank you, Maria. Like I needed that. (laughs) Um, I, it's such a, it's such a thing and I wish it wasn't because, you know, it's kind of born out of like insecurity of, of how do I fit with this dynamic of this team or in this situation or, you know, um, and I think it kind of ties back to like your value and worth. And the thing is, it's like, you're like, you, you did the damn thing. You've already walked into the room. Absolutely. Just own it. Yeah. It's like when people say they can't wear something, it's like, If you don't want to wear it, don't, but if you want to wear it, you know, like, and if you say you can't pull it off, but you're wearing it and then like, just go pull it off. Like there's no, there's no reason to not just lean into yourself and who you are and where you want to head in life. Um, I think it's, I think it's true for fashion. I think it's true for working at your job every day. I think it's true for how you want to map out your life and starting a company. It's all just about how you lean into your own life. Yeah. And I think it's about being bold and taking those risks, you know, like yeah. mentioned the color situation, like pink's not my color, but you know what I said, I'm going to do it. And you just embrace it. Um, knowing that other colors might be more your speed, but I think some days you're just like, you know, it's, it's a pink kind of day. I'm going to do it and Absolutely. Uh, block everyone else out. So I think that's a good point. And, uh, there's a little bit of fear, I think also in showing up in a space because you don't want to take space from others as well. And that can be kind of a tricky dynamic or dance as you're trying to figure out and navigate your way through this, a new position or a new company, or, um, maybe even a new venture. Um, it, it can feel awkward at times when there's not clear lanes to move in. Um, And so I think that can also be interpreted as insecurity or imposter syndrome too, because you don't want to be too much. 
um, for the space. And so I find a lot of times, at least the people who I've encountered um, in my day to day have also mentioned that that can also really hold you back and allow you not to really show up as your best full self. And yeah. I thought that's something probably as you're getting ready to, to present in front of different groups and different investors, that has to be something also that's equally important to you. It is. Yeah. And I think in terms of showing up in a space, if you, there are ways to walk into a room with pride in who you are and what you do without seeming like you are there's like there's a way to be confident without being in a room with feeling like you belong there you're better than anyone else at that mm-hmm. table um and i think when it comes from making space with other people as well like i always there's some quote that someone who i i don't know unfortunately said but you don't dim another candle by lighting it um like when i light your candle my light does not get less dim so yes, say that take, one more time for the people <laughs> in the back. If you take your ego out of it, like I only get the room gets brighter if my candle also lights yours. So as long as your ego isn't in that space of saying, like, I can't help you because I want the light to shine on me, um, it's gonna work out for us all better if we help each other. And that can be hard. There are workplaces where that is not the environment that you're in. Um, there are people who feel like they have worked hard to get where they are and they, they can't turn around and help someone else because that will kind of send their, um, send them crumbling down. But in my experience, the more that people have helped me and I've helped them back, we've all just gotten better from it. And, um, you know, not every room you walk in is for you and that's fine. There are other rooms. Um, but really being able to help people, I think that built, especially in a, in a small community like Birmingham, but even in DC, when I lived there and with everyone else I've worked with being willing to help, even though there's not the immediate return, it comes back to you eventually. Yes. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I feel like that's such, um, people have this scarcity mindset of, well, if she has all of this, what does that leave for me? Right. Um, and the, the, the fact of the matter is, is you can help people along the way and there can be enough pie to go around, right? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's a true testament to people's character when you find creative ways to lift up others on the team rather than try to put yourself first and position yourself or campaign to be presented in a better light than others. And I think at the end of the day, um, everyone's on the same team. And so it is all about building each other up and that can be within your community or at your work or even within your friend group. And I think that that's an important piece that for whatever reason, I think we as women, especially can have a hard time with. Yeah. Yeah, we can, because there aren't as many opportunities seemingly, um, in a lot of ways. And I think it's for same for women. I think it's same for people of color. Um, anyone who has been in the minority at work and otherwise, oftentimes there is only one spot, um, to move into and it can be really tough to kind of come to terms with that. 
Um, but there are ways to still champion and highlight other people. It's making sure that you're saying other people, if you are the one in the room, it's making sure that you're mentioning the people who aren't in the room. Um, making sure their names are spoken if they put work into a project. It's, it's just making sure that you share the work, that you share the credit um, if you are the person who's, who's the one in that room. And that's just an easy way to, to make sure that you're kind of helping all boats rise. Yeah, definitely. So Maria, when you look back on your life, when it's all said and done, you know, what do you hope to accomplish? Wow. Um, honestly, just kind of what I said earlier, like I just want in some even small nominal way to have made the world a little better than I left it, uh, than I found it, um, to just leave it a little bit more either thoughtful or engaged, empathetic, just to have something that I've done that has made a small, small difference. Um, there's a a quote that I love. I know I feel like I've said a lot of quotes that I read, but I think that really helps me like stay focused in life. But um, it's a Chinese proverb actually that's something along the lines of um, you plant a tree knowing that you'll never, you'll never be the one to sit in its shade. Um, and so I think about that in terms of like raising kids one day and of being gone. Like even if I plant this tree today, I may not know the shade, but someone will. And I try to lead with that intention going through life. That's very powerful. I like that one. I will be uh, filing that one away too. I have it saved on Pinterest somewhere if you want to go. <laughs> yes, I'm here for that. I will be looking at your Pinterest boards later. I also have my own quote board. <laughs> yes. It's nice to just like scroll through them every once in a while and see kind of what struck you a while back and might be helpful again. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I feel like we're kindred spirits in that way. Yes. I love that. <laughs> so what's next for you in fundrage? So continuing to just build and make the user experience of the Chrome extension a little bit better. Um, but right now, really the main focus is we're rolling out the app in the next month and getting people to sign up for the wait list, which you can do on our website, gofundrage.com. And driving excitement and energy around this app rollout. It's really going to be the first platform where you have social impact at your fingertips. So you're walking down the street and you see you know, people in the homeless community and you want to donate to a nonprofit that will help them right away. You can type in homelessness as a cause and be connected with local nonprofits right there. Um, really connecting people with a way to give back immediately and quickly and easily because we know we all love things that are easy and quick these days. Um, so focusing on driving that out and then just getting more people engaged. We're also hosting um, community events, had our first in March, um, which you attended, and then we're going to have another one coming up this month and continuing to work with just local organizations and highlighting how to get involved socially and to stay engaged. So lots of exciting stuff coming with the technology and then just with the community around fundrage as a whole. Nice. So last but not least, this is my favorite question to ask because everyone has a different answer and that's what makes it really beautiful. How do you define success for yourself? For myself, I define it as 
I didn't get these in advance, so I haven't thought through it. So I'm, I'm really on the spot here. Um, <laughs> um, but I think I define it as feeling at the end of the day, like I have worked as hard as I could and the outcome of whatever it was is the best that I could have made it. Um, so even if that is a failure in some way, which a startup every day, I feel like a failure in some way, knowing that I have worked as hard as I could to push it as far as I can, like that has to be a success. Um, and I think I say that more as if I don't think of success in the way where I gave it my all and I think of it only as a scoreboard of winning, like then I'll never feel successful. Um, so it's allowing small wins along the way, as long as I've worked as hard as I can. That was a ramble, but hopefully that some of it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's great. <laughs> so now it's time for the leading ladies. We love rapid fire game. Get excited. Yes. So this is a game where I will shout out an adjective and I would love for you to share the love and mention a lady that comes to mind and just a little bit about her Okay. and we'll keep it moving. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First word is bold. Christina Frantum. She is the chief marketing officer at Fledging, um, startup based in Birmingham. And she has, she just leans into whatever she does in full on full force. Um, and I've got to know her recently and she's, she is the definition of bold in all the ways. Next word is inspiring. So I have two names that pop in my mind and I'm sorry if that's cheating. Um, two of my uh, best friends have started companies or are like full-time consultants and also had kids in the past year. Um, one is, her name's Madeline Federley. She started a company called Be The Brand and she works with executive women to update their digital presence um, online. And the other, her name's Emily Winternitz and she's a consultant and mom. And they both, they both took motherhood and working by storm in a way that I hope to emulate one day with being graceful with themselves around um, being a woman who works, caring a lot about work, um, and just kind of juggling all the things and being honest about how hard it is. So I, I look at them a lot when I think of, um, being inspired. Mentor. Mentor. Um, I have an old boss. Her name is Jenny Smith and she was a, one of those bosses, friends, mentors to me. Um, her and another boss I had, boss I had named Kathy O'Hearn, um, in very different ways, but teaching me how to be a woman in the workforce in terms of taking up my own space, knowing when to lean in, when to lean back, and really being thoughtful about coming to work as a whole person. Both of them in different ways um, were mentors to me. Next word is creative. Lacey Mann, the founder of A Basic Shop in Birmingham. She is a creative and honestly the bold and inspiring also makes me think of her but just being someone who um, always has new ideas is always sharing them with other people and as a, a person in the fashion world and part of Magic City Fashion Week she's just always creating new communities experiences places last but not least business savvy 
There's a woman named Ashley Davis. She lives in DC and has her own lobbying firm. And she's a board member of an organization that I worked for a while back in DC, but she is someone who has her own firm, but also works strategically with other nonprofits and businesses. Just everything she does has that business lens and watching her from afar is inspiring to me. All right. Well, that is the end of the Leading Ladies We Love rapid fire game. Great job. We did it. (laughs) I was nervous, but thank you for, thank you for leading me through it. (laughs) You know, that's what I'm here for. So before we head out, please tell our friends who are listening along, how can they connect with you? And what is your shameless plug? (laughs) You can follow Fundrage on Instagram at Fundrage. It's F-U-N-D-R-A-G-E. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, also at Funrage or Maria Underwood. We're on Facebook, but don't post there often, honestly. Um, Or you can email me, maria at gofundrage.com. My shameless plug is go to our website, gofundrage.com, buy some merch that we just rolled out. We've got great hats and t-shirts and coffee mugs. If you want something that helps just channel your anger into action on a daily basis, go to the Chrome store, download Funrage for free. And on our website, you can also sign up to be on the wait list, the ever-growing wait list for the app that's going to roll out in the next month. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maria. You are just so authentic, so real. And I just really appreciate your insight. Hang in there and keep doing your thing, girl. But I've really enjoyed connecting with you. And I just really appreciate uh, your time and, and all the things that you're doing in Birmingham. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you're, you're doing it too. And so thank you for what you're doing and for having me on. Yeah. Anytime. Feel free to come back. Thank you for listening to another episode of the ladies who lead podcast. Looking for another way to engage with the ladies who lead podcast. Check out our Instagrams and our show notes at the ladies who lead. And don't forget to check out our website www.theladieswholead.com. Until next time, I'm SK Vaughn.